Hello, you're listening to the Market Street Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. We're going to have a reading from Hosea. Um, You're going to find it in the Church Bible on page 857. 857, the Old Testament section, Hosea chapter 11. I'm going to read the uh, first nine verses. The prophet writes, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt and Assyria will be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. We'll be returning to these, uh, this passage shortly, but in preparation we're going to stand and sing the hymn, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. If I was to sum up the book of Hosea, it would be this, relentless love. And it seems so appropriate on this Remembrance Sunday to be reminded of God's relentless love for you, for me, for all that he has created. Hosea is uh, 
a prophet that is in the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember the other week we were thinking about how the, the kingdom came to be divided, north and south, uh, Judah in the south, Israel in the north, um, all because of the greed, the power-hungriness, the, uh, the savageness of those that came after uh, David and Solomon. And as those kings and as those nations turned away from God, so powers around them, forces beyond their control, became tools by which God would seek to lead them back. Slide please, Simon. It is in the northern kingdom, in the green, that we have the prophet Hosea. It's around about the middle of the 700 BC, about 750 BC. 722 is the key date because that is the time when the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, will cease to be. And in the words that we have, uh, have read from Hosea 11, we get that sense of the impending doom of all that will happen. I love the book of Hosea, if only for the fact that it's a reminder, a stark reminder that God sometimes uses difficult means in order to communicate his truth. And if you're not familiar with Hosea, then uh, you won't necessarily know that the first three chapters um, is because it is very important because Hosea, who was a faithful man of God, gets told to go and marry a prostitute. And uh, the first three chapters unfold of marriage, adultery, and restoration. Slide, please, Simon. Sometimes Hosea is known as the, um, the husband of Goma. Goma is his wife, and um, it's unclear as to whether or not she uh, was um, being unfaithful before he marries her, or whether or not that is a characteristic that comes after he has married her. But it's a prophetic symbol of God's relationship with Israel. There's kind of the sense of uh, how this might be received is um, captivated in this next slide. Slide, please, Simon. Congregation horrified at pastor's choice of spouse. <laughs> I'm saying no more. I'm moving on. Slide, please. They have three children together, and, and the children are named specifically to, to talk about how God feels about his chosen people. Jezreel, Yahweh will destroy Jehu's line and all of Israel. Lo Rumama, no love or pity, Yahweh will no longer have compassion on Israel or forgive her sins. And Lo Ami, not my people, Yahweh has rejected the Israelites as his people. The prophet is enacting in his life's something of what God wishes to communicate. And, and I said it, it's a prophetic symbol of God's relationship with Israel. And we see that 
mirrored in the following slide. There is the marriage that was the covenant at Mount Sinai. You will be my people, I will be your God. These are the commandments that I'm giving you that you might live in that covenant relationship. But the adultery and idolatry, even while Moses is up on the top of Mount Sinai, the, the people of Israel are saying, oh, what are we going to do? And Aaron's saying, oh, you know what, give me all your jewellery, I'm going to melt it down, I'm going to make a golden calf. And then they go into the land and, uh, uh, that God has promised them and they're very quickly um, buying into the other religions that are around, hedging their bets. It was never God's plan for them to have a king, but they're saying, let's have a king like all the other nations. They turn away from God. And option one is the end of God's covenant. And option two is God to renew the covenant. God chooses to renew his covenant. Ultimately, it's going to be renewed in and through Jesus. A covenant which we are being reminded of every time we break bread in communion and share the wine. And the reason why God chooses to renew that covenant is because of God's love, compassion, and faithfulness. And that's in uh, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Let me just read that to you. Well, I can get there. Chapter 2, verse 19 says... And I will take you for my wife forever. I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. That's how God speaks about us. That's how God wants to be related with us. And then the following chapters uh, that come after chapters 1 to 3 are about God's relationship, God's strict hand towards Israel. There's an empty profession, brings the chastening of God in chapters 5 to 7. Chapters 8 to 9, God's sympathy in the midst of that chastening. You see, God loves us. God isn't about rules. God isn't about punishment. But God is about encouraging us into relationship. And you, in, in those chapters, you get that sense of God's regret. If only, if only you would turn back to me. If only you would honor me. If only you would live your life as a righteous reflection of who I am. And then in chapter 11, we get a change of metaphor. We've had this husband and wife metaphor. We've had the imagery of Hosea and Goma, the, the three children which are symbolic of times and seasons and a journey. Slide, please. And Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, a reference to the Exodus. The immaturity, the newness of Israel. Because at that point in, in Egypt, 
Although Israel knew God, they weren't in that relationship with God. And when you read the book of Exodus, what you get is that developing, growing relationship, just as it is for you and me. You know, when you give your life to Christ, you don't suddenly have all the truth of the Bible and the ways to live your life downloaded into your brain. You, you grow in that relationship just as any human relationship that you have, good or bad. We are works that God is crafting and shaping And so, in this imagery as child, we find something of God's love for us, just as it was for Israel. But we have that tendency to move away from God. I don't know if it's God's holiness. I don't know if it's sometimes because we feel the demands are too great. I love the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis and that conversation between a junior devil and the senior devil and, and the senior devil is giving all sorts of tips and tricks and think, well, you know, get him to go down the pub with his mates. You'll say, I'm only going to have a quick pint, it'll be okay. But before you know it, he's had five pints and he's legless. And in the morning, he'll be filled with so much regret that he won't want to face his Christian friends because they might have that sense of, oh, we know what you did last night. Why is it that we hide away from God? Just as the people of Israel did. Verse 2, the more I called them, says God, the more they went from me. The farther they moved away. For the people of Israel, it was something that was more simple, something that was attractive. Sacrificing to the Baals, offering incense to idols. That's an easier religion. It's easy to practice religion, but God doesn't want us to practice religion. God wants us to have relationship to share our hearts, to have those listening ears, to be transformed. Not simply to have an experience, but to grow in the knowledge of his love and with his love, his purpose for each of you because each of you has a purpose in God's kingdom. I've been um, reading some stuff by the London Institute of Christianity and Culture. And if you are a person that works and is engaged in the thing, I would invite you to go and dip into their stuff because it talks about, well, it asks the question, what is your front line? What is your front line? Where is it that you are encounter those people that don't think the same way as you, don't have faith? That's your front line. That's where you're showing Jesus. It might be your family. It might be your neighborhood. It might be your place of work. And we're encouraged to embrace those front lines and to stand firm for God. 
but it's hard. I hope that when you come to church on the Sunday, that, uh, that it's about seeking God's blessing and equipping for tomorrow and all of your tomorrows. That the things that we talk about in sermons, that are things that we share in prayer and our worship encourages us in going to those front lines to be salt, to be light. God never says that it's going to be easy, but he does promise to be faithful and to be with us. And even for the nation of Israel, turning their back on God, making those sacrifices to um, to idols. God remains faithful. God says, I could destroy them, but I won't. He talks about that, that intimacy. Do you know that intimacy of God? I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. What a wonderful imagery that is. You think of a mother cradling that baby. And she's going to give her life for that baby. There's nothing that's going to get in the way. She's going to do whatever she needs to do to give that baby life, opportunity, love. It's the most natural thing in the world. And that's how God holds you. And he wants to feed you. And he wants you to take your hand. and to you Just imagine that when your children, those of you that have had children or uh, uh, known little children, when they start walking and we're doing that encouragement. And it's, first of all, you're holding them with two fingers. And then it's one finger. And then you're encouraging them. And you know full well they're going to take two steps. And they go fall flat on their face. But you don't want them to be defeated. And so you encourage them to get up. You know, it, I don't know if that's we're kind of always like preparing our children to, uh, to, to suffer. But you know, never mind it hurts. I don't care that your face planted on the carpet. Just get up and do it again. It will be lots of fun. And eventually they learn that. I remember when I did my, uh, snap my Achilles tendon and I had it surgically replaced and I thought that when they took the cast off, I'd be able to walk normally. No, I couldn't. After being in a cast for 14 weeks, I couldn't move my ankle, never mind walk. I remember going to physiotherapy and uh, I think I'd been going for a couple of weeks and, and I still had this kind of awkward limping gait and, and they said, just walk, just step off. And I said, I can't, it feels like I'm going to fall. And they said, that's it. Walking is falling under control. You literally, as you take your step, you are falling onto the next foot and you fall again and you fall and, and that's what we do, we walk. God's always there to pick us up. He wants to encourage us into growing, walking with him. That tenderness, that rage, that, 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 that love that he has for us. And it is a barrier to his rage, for he is a holy God. There are consequences of sin. The most important consequence of sin is that we separate ourselves from God. God doesn't kick us out of the house, lock the door, put up a no-entry sign, 
We separate ourselves from God. We choose to turn away from him. And he seeks to use all means possible to bring us back to him. God wants to remind us that he doesn't think the same way that we do. And at the end of our passage, we are reminded, God says, for I am God and not man. You see, in the same way, if we'd been cheated on as God's been cheated on, if we'd been ignored as God's been ignored, then we might kind of want to take things into our own hands. We might call that revenge, but that's not what God wants. Charles Spurgeon. I always love it when a Baptist quote comes up in, in my preparation. Charles Spurgeon observed that there are many differences between God and man in the matter of forgiveness. Man cannot hold back his anger very long. Man cannot bear with others when he is tired, stressed or annoyed. Man will not reconcile if the person who offended him is a person of bad character. This was written at the turn of the 1900s. Man is often only willing to be reconciled if the offending party craves forgiveness and makes the first move. Any of this sounding familiar? Man is often only willing to be reconciled if the offending party will never again do wrong. Man, when he does reconcile, does not lift the former offender to place of high status and partnership. Man, when he is wronged, does not bear all the penalty of the wrong done. Man, when he attempts reconciliation, will not continue if he is rejected. Man will not restore an offender without period of probation. Man will not love, adopt, honor, and associate with one who has wronged him. Man will not trust someone who has formerly wronged him. I know as I think of some of my broken relationships... I'm guilty of some of those things. But God says that I am not man. He thinks differently. Thank God that he thinks differently about you and me. And even though we might go away, his desire is always that we will come back, that we will be embraced as his children. Slide, please. Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 14, let the children come to me. This is that uh, episode when uh, Jesus is teaching and the mothers are bringing their, their little children for a blessing and, and the disciples are a bit huffy about it and say, you know, the teacher's way too busy. Don't bother Jesus. He's got more important things. And Jesus says, no. He rebukes the disciples and says, let them come to me. I wonder how many times we, the church, need to hear that message. Let the children come to me. Not just the babies, not just the infants or the teens that we crave to fill our churches because we imagine then that the church has a future. But every child of God. My two eldest children are 34 and 31. They're still my children. They will always be my children. 
And you and I are children of the living God and he loves you. He wants to be in that relationship with you. Slide, please. I think this person puts it far better. They're going to give you up, let you down, run around and desert you. Make you cry, say goodbye, tell a lie and hurt you. That's how God thinks about you. Remember where we started? Hosea, a book of God's relentless love. Do you need to hear that message this morning? Do you need to know that God has that relentless love for you? No matter what you're facing, no matter where you think you are, how distant you might be from God, God loves you with all of his heart and continues to love you and says, come and spend a while. Come and be with me. Slide, please. I'm finishing with this slide. There is a father who has been in great pain because of the choices of his children. But when they come to him, he desires to bring them home. There is a God who has been broken-hearted over your choices. But he reaches beyond that hurt to the love that's been there all along. This is what God thinks of you. May we, as we struggle with the likes of Hosea and why God would tell him to do something so ridiculous as to marry an unfaithful wife, may we trust in his love and his purpose and his never-ending care for you. Amen. This sermon was recorded on Sunday the 11th of November 2019. It was brought to you by our minister, the Reverend Gary Wareham.